0: Are 12 years or younger and would like to join me up front. Be careful with the table. Hey guys, gather around, gather around. Did you guys know that this Sunday has a special name? Did you know that? No. If you had to guess what this Sunday's special name was, what would you guess? What? You're close. Youth Sunday. Youth Sunday? That's, you were right. I didn't think about that loophole. <laughs> this is Youth Sunday. This Sunday has another special name. Have you ever heard of Trinity Sunday? you've heard of the Trinity, right? If you haven't, I'm not doing very well at being a priest. You've heard of the Trinity, <laughs> correct? Okay. And so the, the Trinity is something, is it just in a little bit of the Bible, or is it all over the Bible? It's all over the Bible. You're exactly right. You get an A. So let's think about a few of the biggest moments from the whole Bible, and let's see if we can find the Trinity in them, okay? So way back in December, what big thing did we celebrate? Christmas, right? And at Christmas, who is born? Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus is the Son, right? But what do we say about the Father and the Spirit on Christmas? Do we say anything about them? It's kind of hard to remember, right? What about, what about the crucifixion and the resurrection? Who was crucified? Jesus. Jesus. And who was raised from the dead? Jesus. Jesus. But what about the Father and the Spirit? God. Yes, exactly right. But we don't, do we say stuff about the Father and the Spirit on, these, on those days? We do, but it's kind of hard to figure out how those play together. What about Pentecost? We just celebrated Pentecost. And who was it that descends from heaven down to the disciples? The Holy Spirit. Spirit. But what about the Son and the Father? Did we say something about them on Pentecost? Yes, yes, the ascension is tied to it. But would you believe me if I told you that the Trinity, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are actually present in every single season of the church and in every single celebration of the church. It can be hard to see it first, but hopefully I'm going to help you see it today. Any questions? About the Trinity? Good. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yes? My school is called a tri- a Trinity Christian your, Academy. Your school's called Trinity Christian Academy? That's a great name, dude. Uh, I have a You have a school? What's your school's name? School. (laughs) All right. Back to your seats, guys. So for the past six months, the church has been engaged in a story, a drama, a drama that begins with the seasons of Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. These are seasons of joy, of presence and songs. But after Epiphany, with the arrival of Lent, the story pivots and becomes a bit more somber. But the somberness of Lent doesn't last long. The Lenten season gives way to the celebrations of Easter and of Pentecost. These two seasonal bookends of Advent and Pentecost, between those two is the story of Christ's coming, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his closeness to us in a brand new way, Pentecost. But then something really strange happens. On the very first Sunday after Pentecost, today, Trinity Sunday, we find that we stand on the precipice of yet another season. And this next season has the most uninspiring name in the whole church year. Today, we stand on the verge of a season called Ordinary Time. (laughs) But here's a good question to ask. Why does Ordinary Time, the blandest sounding of all the seasons, begin with the most profoundly named Sunday, Trinity Sunday. In the entire church year, there was no other Sunday called Trinity Sunday. In the drama of the gospel, there was no other day that invokes all three persons of the Godhead in its name. But why today? Why does Trinity Sunday fall on the Sunday after Pentecost? And why does Trinity Sunday usher in the season of ordinary time? I don't want to keep you in suspense, so here's what I think. Trinity Sunday is placed immediately after Pentecost because Trinity Sunday serves as a vantage point, a vantage point where we can turn and look back over the story told thus far and see the whole drama of Scripture from Advent to Pentecost is infused with all three persons of the Trinity. And Trinity Sunday ushers in ordinary time because the ordinary reality a Christian lives in is one that is infused moment by moment with the same triune God. What's ordinary for the Christian, the day-to-day reality we live in, is the greatest story imaginable, is absolutely true. God has taken on flesh, he has defeated death, and now God offers new life. He offers himself to us. God offers his hand in marriage and extends an invitation for us to live with him forever. That story is the standard for the Christian. That story is what is normal for us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is ordinary for us here's the ordinary marching orders for the christian go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always even to the end of the age those words establish the foundation of christian belief those words give us an absolute boundary A boundary that constitutes the core of the Christian faith. God is revealed to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. My friends, if you do not believe those words, then you find yourself outside of the faith. Christians don't believe in three separate gods that work on some committee together. Christians don't believe that God is one person who acts in three separate ways. No, Christians believe that God is one in essence. He is one in His substance. And God is three in His persons. These four words, one God, three persons, represent the fruits of hundreds of years of spirit-led discussion in the early church. Jesus claimed to know the Father and have all the authority of the Father. Jesus even claimed an equality with the Father, but Jesus did not claim to be the Father. No, Jesus claimed to be the Son of the Father who has come to this earth by the Holy Spirit. And from the very beginning of the gospel story, the Trinity is front and center. At Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus. But the incarnation isn't just some solo act where Jesus shows up on his own. No, at Christmas, we celebrate that by the Spirit, the Son took upon our nature and was made man. We celebrate that it was the Father who sent the Son. Christmas is a celebration that all three persons of the Trinity enter in and permeate our world in a brand new way. The Father sends, the Son comes, and he does so by the Spirit. Christmas is the beginning of the story, the beginning of the liturgical drama, and it's at the foundation of a Trinitarian story. And as that story continues to unfold into the seasons of Lent and Easter, we see that they are founded in the Trinity as well. Lent is a time of preparation, a time where we prepare our hearts and minds to focus upon the sacrifice of our Lord. And it should come as no surprise to you that the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus have such massive implications for humanity and the world that millions and millions of pages have been written on the subject. And with such an expanse of material, it isn't surprising that there's a variety of views about exactly how and what Christ accomplished. And while I would love to take the next hour and a half explaining the variety of salvific motifs and metaphors, Father Chris said I couldn't, so (laughs) I'll just say this. Can we agree that what was accomplished in the crucifixion and the resurrection was accomplished by all three persons of the Trinity? Can we agree on that? Because just like the incarnation, the crucifixion and the resurrection aren't things Jesus pulled off while the Father and the Spirit sat on the sidelines somewhere. Jesus may have been the one who was crucified. He he may have been the one who walked out of the tomb, but he wasn't alone. All three persons of the Trinity were intimately involved in the death and resurrection of Jesus. When Christ was nailed to the cross and raised for everyone to see, the heart of Jesus was on display. His compassion for a lost world was evident, and every single eye that beheld him saw it. But remember, Jesus himself said that if you see him, you see who? The Father Jesus said that His words and His actions are not His own. Jesus says everything that He hears the Father saying is what He says. Everything that He sees the Father doing is what He does. So whenever you see Jesus, whenever you hear Jesus, you see and hear the Father as well. So at the crucifixion of Jesus, the sacrifice that was made by the Son is a picture of the Father's heart for a lost and broken world. At the cross, all that we see in Christ that is noble and good, all that we see is divine, is the image of His Father being shown to the world by the Spirit. The Father and the Spirit weren't absent in Christ's greatest moment of trial. They hadn't turned their backs on Him in His hour of greatest need. No, they were right there with Jesus, strengthening Him, supporting Him, profoundly grieving and partaking in the suffering of Jesus. The Father and the Spirit actively partake in the redemption of the world with the Son. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they're never separated, they're never estranged, they're never apart from one another, and they do all things in and through one another. And the crucifixion of Jesus shows that to us clearly. And the resurrection is no different. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, Christ was raised by the glory of the Father through the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't decide on his own to just wake up one day and walk out of the tomb. No, he was raised by the Spirit and by the resurrection of the Son was done to the glory of the Father. And after his resurrection, Christ ascends and is seated at the right hand of the Father and then Jesus sends who? The Spirit. Even at Pentecost, every person of the Trinity is present. It is by the Spirit that a person is reborn and has new life in Christ. It is by the Spirit's coming that Christ comes to us in a brand new way. Therefore, anyone who receives the Spirit receives Christ as well. And anyone who receives the Son, they receive who? The Father. His Father. Pentecost is a celebration that the resurrected life of the Son of the Father descends upon this earth and fills any who receive Him with a life that never dies. Pentecost may be about the Spirit's coming, but the Spirit doesn't come alone. No, the Spirit brings us new life in Christ, new life in the Son, the same Son who perfectly images the Father. By the coming of the Spirit, all three persons of the Trinity are being made present. By the Spirit, all three persons of the triune God dwell with anyone who calls Jesus Lord. And this is why Trinity Sunday, I think, is positioned here just after Pentecost. Today serves as a signpost, a a reminder that the story of the gospel is the story of the Trinity. The story where all three persons of the Trinity restore a lost and broken world, where forgiveness and redemption are the co-equal endeavor of all three persons of the one God. Trinity Sunday is placed here, seemingly at the end of the drama that began six months ago with Advent, so that we can look back at the entire story and view it through the lens of the Trinity. Because the gospel story from beginning to end can only be understood through that lens. But the season of ordinary time reminds us of something else. The drama of our Lord is far from over. The Christian continually waits on the day when Christ splits the eastern sky and with a shout calls his bride into the air to meet him. The mind-bending reality that one day soon Christ will return for his church is the normal, the expected, the ordinary reality the Christian lives in every single day. And from this day until that, the Lord is continually drawing people into his kingdom every minute of every hour. Today, in just a moment, we will witness firsthand the sacrament of baptism. We will witness yet another precious child being marked as Christ's own. Today, we will witness something normative for the Christian, something ordinary for us. But make absolutely no mistake, for the Christian, that which is normal, that which is ordinary, is the most extravagant and beautiful thing this world has ever seen. Amen.